ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode 42, post-Easter ASI episode. That is The Police with uh, King of Pain. Reminds me of Good Friday. Um, it's Easter, the week after Easter week, right? You have Palm Sunday, Good Friday. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff in between, right? That a lot of uh, different religions and, and stuff and denominations will will observe, but the big ones are Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, I play that song because it reminds me of a, a piece of scripture, and it also reminds me of some conversations that I've had and I've read on, uh, on Reddit and the NoFap site, and engaging people who are struggling with going... Um, a week, two weeks, 30 days, a month and a half, right? Three months without using pornography, but feeling this kind of depression move in, feeling this kind of anxiety move in, um, and, and not really understanding what that's about or how to deal with that. And what I've said time and time again is that you're learning new coping skills, all right, I'm proud of you guys who are who are sticking with it, even though it doesn't feel good, right? Even though it doesn't feel good for the sake of love in the future, you know, this kind of delayed gratification that we would uh, harness or try and contain our sexual energy and in obedience to God, whether you believe in God or not, um, the facts are that the reason that this data is out and the reason that this science is out there is something I've said. I've been doing this podcast for, for what, eight years now. Something I've said since the beginning is that God is not up in heaven trying to destroy all your fun. But the truth is um, we have a fleshy nature. We have this sin nature that wants to, uh, it wants to take over. It wants to run our lives. It wants to do what it wants to do. And um, there's a war going on. I, I wanted to, to 
read you a couple pieces of scripture that that have to do with that. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one, with one another, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. Right? Like, if we do what we want on this side, it diminishes our, our life, you know? And people thought that, oh, there's nothing wrong with pornography. And, you know, you, you hear about guys like Kinsey in college, right? And his his free sex experiment, which we can prove through science today that that has failed. Like, yeah, there is something wrong with pornography, especially through high-speed internet, you know? And what that's doing in rewiring the brains of of young men, especially men and women. It, it, it's, it's going to take some effort on your part, it's going to take what the Bible would call repentance, which is that we've been obeying a different God, right? That we are obedient creatures. Like I heard a, an atheist guy talking about, well, I just want people to be free from religion. Okay, well, what does that look like? Because for me to be free, like you're free, if you're saying that survival of the fittest means freedom, then um, you look at a jacked up guy like me um, man, I, I ran with a crowd who survival of the fittest doesn't mean what it means amongst college elitists, okay? Depending on what side of the tracks you grow up on, survival of the fittest can be a very, um, a very dark way of seeing things. The definition of freedom is a philosophical conundrum that I enjoy debating with people who are willing to go there, right? Does that make sense? See, there's the, the atheist guy will say, you know, I want to free you from your religion. Religion is a crutch. I love that one, right? Like, okay, so you don't have any crutches. And maybe there's something to that. See, on the religious person's side, there's a lot of religious people who, um, like Nate Larkin said in his book, Samson and the Pirate Monks, he talked about meeting a, a Christian guy who was just honest, who who felt, you know, just kind of your magnet, this magnetic personality of this guy who just felt comfortable in his own skin, right? He talked about sin in the present tense, which I, I love that line, like, you know, doing some deconstruct, reconstruct on what sin is. Um, sin is simply the the fracture of this world, right? Genesis two, Genesis three, the story of of Adam and Eve, and God explaining to us in this way through this story what happened. You know, the the, the world got fractured. We there was a, a crack in the way that we relate to, in the way that we see God, in the way that we speak to God. Um, the, the creation itself is, is in this affliction, this infection of sin. It's, it's why there's earthquakes and hurricanes and the, the whole creation groans, the Bible says, for, for Jesus to come back. Um, I heard an atheist guy say, you know, I just don't believe in sin. And, and you know, if, if I punch you in the face and, and take your wallet, what, what is that, 
right? Well, that's to, you know, dysfunction or that's criminal offense. Um, you ha- well, I have a money disorder, right? I needed, <laughs> I needed some money, so I saw you as the, as the right, the solving my money disorder. See, the word sin has been redefined in our culture in psychological terms as like you know disorder or dysfunction. And yes, there are very real psychological disorders and, and dysfunctions that can happen. But, you know, a lot of times exaggerated into behavior mod terms, we use these in in flip-flop with the word sin, right? Like, I'm a much larger man than that man who's dressed really well, looks like he has some money. So in my survival of the fittest worldview, I'm pretty sure I could get some money out of that guy because it's a dark alley. I'm not going to get caught, right? I don't like having to repent and get a job, right? Using these theological terms. They're just different words, right? So we we use these other words and it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? Um, Being obedient to God is simply uh, siding with or syncing up with love, right? The the human flourishing on this planet is, is syncing up with love. The way that God has has the design of things to go and what we ought to do. And so I don't want to bag on people that use the word crutch either, all right? Because I get it. Um, there's some kinds of certain, right, like social dependency that's repugnant, you know? And you see it and go, yeah, that, that person's using a crutch. Uh, another theological word we say is, is idolatry like that that thing is a total idol for that person and we see it and we're kind of repulsed by it if we're honest it makes it hard to be in relationship with people who right who overly are dependent on something or someone like the way that guy or that gal copes with life using that thing like that's pretty disturbing to me as an outsider looking in. You know, we've all had those moments, haven't we, if you're honest? Adam and Eve and the apple and the tree of life and God's one rule, right? Had one rule back then, just don't eat from that tree. Couldn't do that one even, right? I remember I heard a guy say, I, I don't think it's fair that God punished the whole world for the sins of one man. And it's, you know, let, let's take time and population out of the equation and, and put you in Adam's shoes, right? Like, you, you, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden, according to the story. A hundred years, a hundred thousand years. A million years? We we don't know. You th- you think you wouldn't have got a little bit of an appetite for some forbidden fruit there, Charlie? You think you're better than Adam? You know, it's, it's again, it's that elitist kind of self righteousness. You think you're better than Adam and Eve, right? You do. See, self righteousness isn't just a you know a disease of religious people. 
I had a lot of identity issues. You know, I talked about that in some of the early shows, really um, resonating with this reality show guy, Danny Bonaducci, who's actually a radio guy in my city right now. And he was saying, um, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't really know who Danny Bonaducci is, right? Like, like that was something that resonated with me. Like, I get that because I got to the point in my addiction that I, oh man, I don't know who I am. So, but one thing I did do and I did know with my anger, right, and in my um, indignation towards what I didn't like in the world, uh, I would say, you know, I, I may not know what I want, but I sure know what I don't want, you know? And so this had caused me to use this kind of judgmental crutch word in, in viewing others, Right. And and the funny thing is, when it came to being teachable, when it came to counselors and folks that I was like hiring and paying money to help them figure me out. Right. Because I had this behavior that was controlling me and I didn't control it. So I'm 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 asking these guys for help. Yet some of them are saying, you, you need to learn to be teachable, Russ. And part of learning to be teachable is realizing that you need to scrutinize your own worldview with as much energy and passion as you scrutinize other people's. So I could point at that guy having a crutch and that guy having a crutch, but I wasn't being honest. It's a, the fourth step and the 12 steps is doing a moral inventory. And I thought it would be a, a funny visual right? Emotional word picture to have a guy like open the closet and a bunch of crutches fall out, right? <laughs> you go through your crutch collection. It's a, it's a step four, man. It's being honest about where I'm at before I exude all this emotional energy on judging everyone else. Uh, defining moment in my life when I could process that and go, yeah, man, you're right. I seem to see everyone else's crutches but my own. And that's where I've realized doing this podcast over the years, the blue collar jacked up guys like me and the college elitists have this, this sex thing in common. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter from what side of the tracks you're on. The sex thing, especially for men in our culture is, is weighty. The situations that we deal with under the surface that we don't talk to everybody about in our sexual lives. It's, it's like the madness that lives in us. This is a very real battle between the flesh and the spirit. Just one spark is all it takes. From the fire, the fire
piece of music reminds me of of Jesus. It reminds me of the prophet Isaiah talking about the coming of Christ, of God entering into time and space as the man Jesus and and how how strange a paradigm that is that God would through his power and glory enter in as a as a simple man and not a king that sits on a throne, right? Jesus is literally born in a barn, all right? He doesn't live in in extravagance and right? He doesn't have 20-inch rims on his chariot. No, he he walks around in sandals. Um rides a donkey. Uh right? Not not the not not who we would think that God would come to resolve the issues of of sin and death in the world and and suffering um this is from the message bible i love the message bible it's just kind of common contemporary english translation um this is starting at, at the beginning it says uh who believes what we've heard and seen who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant parched in a field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down and passed over, a man who suffered, a man who knew pain firsthand. One look at him, people turned away. We looked down on him and thought him to be scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for our own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises we became healed. We're all sheep who've gone and wandered and gotten lost. We've all done our thing, gone our way. And God has piled our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. On Him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taking to the slaughter. Like a sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of the people. They buried him with the wicked and threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said even one word that wasn't true. Um, that is what happened that day. 
I believe what I believe because of spiritual realities. Um, my story, uh, interacting with God's story, my heart was on a collision course with Jesus Christ, and, and I can't prove it, and I can't put it on paper, and I can't make you see, but what I can do is explain some news to you. And I would say, you know, and I've said before that learning new coping skills, but what does that mean? That's kind of a psychological term, isn't it? Coping skills. Um, I want to take back the word psychology a little bit as a theist because that word psychology actually means the study of the soul. And if I am to, to study my own soul and to study my own heart and to be honest about how I make decisions and where my heart does go, I have to be honest about what I do with the stress of this life. And I got to be honest with you, man, I'm not hyper self-disciplined and I didn't learn some uh, Jedi awesome martial arts, uh, Yoda-like coping mechanisms that made my life work, all right? My life still is very difficult, but the way I process stress today is different, and that's because of a spiritual reality. And it's not a spiritual reality that I earn, all right? That's a big part of uh, learning to trust God is getting outside of our own religion and our own thinking that we're self-disciplined enough to earn God's favor because we're not. And that's the paradigm of grace. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world, including Christianity sometimes. There's a lot of Christians who don't talk about grace. They just don't get it. And they've turned um, the faith that is Christianity into cold, dead religion. Um, and Jesus speaks against that. The scribes and the Pharisees are very much alive today. And I, I pray that you don't fall into those temptations to become um, a Pharisee, right? A works-based getting on the treadmill getting on the hamster wheel of trying to earn God's favor or trying to get to the point where you don't need him anymore because he's going to lovingly not let us get there, you know? I saw a kid, I'm, I'm doing my job and I'm, I'm walking across a parking lot and, and we're in a busy area on a busy intersection and this woman had this little kid who was kind of walking alongside her and this, this kid was like a toddler, right? And I'm thinking all right, well, you know, this kid is really well behaved and she stops to answer her phone and the toddler just keeps on going, right? <laughs> and sometimes I think we get like that spiritually with God. We're, we're, God wants us to, hey, stop a minute, rest, take in your life to a certain degree, like enjoy your wife, your kids, your just what's going on right now. Even though things may be stressful, even though it might be, you know, scary or you want to get to a place as fast as you want to get to that place. But sometimes God stops, right? And, and, and we just kind of keep carrying on and we can get away from him. And it's not God that moves away from us. It's us that moves away from God. That's always what happens, right? Like God is constantly pursuing us. And, and this woman is like, hey, you know, she puts the phone down and grabs the kid's hand before he runs out in the road. 
God is constantly doing that with us. But we have this kind of sense of pride. A lot of us can have that, that I, I can do this. And, and it reminded me again of, uh, of another Easter story um, from this, this point in time. Um, this is starting in, in the book of Mark chapter uh, 14, starting in, in verse 27. This is the ESV version. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they fall away, I will not, right? Now, Peter gives me hope. Like, Peter's got this attitude, right? Like, I'm the rock star, man. I'm varsity. Jesus, I ain't going to leave you. <laughs> I'm right by your side, buddy. You and I, we're going to go through the fire together, man. Anyway, on with the story. Verse 30, And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, right? Like these guys just, they even know it's coming. Like Jesus tells them it's coming. Yet they still in the, in the, fire and trial of it all. I mean, imagine the stress of that situation. I listened to a, a, a bunch of lectures at, at Berkeley. This guy was talking about social science, and that's one thing that the church needs to be more compassionate with people about because this cat had a, a really good bead on understanding the power of the situation. Well, a lot of a lot of religious folks are, man, we got to be careful. And I'm included, all right? I'm not pointing the finger out there at religious people. I can be a religious jerk myself. Um, and the thing is, is, is that we need to be honest about the power of the situation. The, the situation that you're in... As you're coping with life where you're at, the stress of what you're going through is very real to you. It can emotionally envelop you and encase you in that point in time. And if we aren't honest about that, we're not really loving people. All right? Uh, there's just points in my life where I think about the stuff that I've said and even in my recovery. Um, and, and and then there's a rooster that crows. I got chickens in my backyard now. We don't have a rooster because we live in the city, but we have these backyard chickens that that lay eggs and right eat the bugs in the yard, which is kind of cool. Um, but I hear chicken noises, and, and it reminds me of this passage. It's an audible reminder to trust him when things don't make sense. When I think I got this, you know. I mean, things can turn on a dime. Life can change in a moment with a phone call. Um, today, uh, as I'm recording this, the president of the United States was flew over my house in a helicopter, landed in the airport the, uh, on his way to China, stopped off in, in Oso. Arlington, Washington is not too far from where I live. It's about as far north from my house as Seattle is south, so so not that far away. Where we had a massive landslide, um, it was basically 
a, a mud slide. It was a mountain slide is what it was. It rains a lot here, but in the in the month of March, we had record-breaking rain. And that rain had soaked into this this hillside, this mountain and released about a cubic mile of mud and debris came down on this little town of Oso. And and a lot of people died. A lot of people don't know what happened to their loved ones. Um, as of today, they found um, about everyone except for two people, which helps a lot of folks, right, who had missing family members. But can you imagine the weight of that situation? What those people are going through. All right. There is suffering in this life. There is suffering. There will be suffering in this life. Um, I wanted to play you a few pieces of audio, and I, and I wanted to start with this one. This is Matt Chandler, um, a little YouTube called a Sermon Jam uh, on how Jesus in, interacts with that, how he knows that, how he he walks in that, how... He's not distant from us. Just, here you go. This is this is good. This is from uh, Matt Chandler in the Village Church down in Texas. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, "Sit here while I go over there and pray." And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He walks away from him only a few feet and he falls on his face and prays. Have you ever got to that place where you just don't know what to do? Like there's nothing left to do. You've screamed the curse words. You've waded through doubt. You've sobbed your eyes out. You've shaken your fist and you've just got nothing left. It seems like the weight of being overwhelmed was known by Jesus. Now look what happens. One of the 12 was preceding them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? Are you betraying me with a kiss? And they just beat him senseless. And then they stand his broken, bloodied body in front of that crowd. And the same crowd that had been following around talking about how great he was is now screaming in a rage, crucify him. Seems like the gravity of betrayal, the gravity of being hated. Seems like Jesus walks in it. In John chapter 4, Jesus was walking through Samaria and he just finally couldn't go anymore. So Jesus says, I'm done. And he sits down and the rest of the disciples go into town and get some food and bring it back out to him seems like the gravity and the weight of being tired was known by Jesus. A good friend of Jesus, his name was Lazarus, got sick and he died. 
And, and the scriptures say that Jesus' spirit, that Jesus' spirit was deeply moved by this. That, that somewhere in the deepest part of Jesus, he resonated with the sorrow and the pain that was going on. And so the scriptures say that Jesus sits down and he weeps, that he enters in to all this sorrow and loss, and he sobs. It seems like the gravity of loss seems like Jesus walked in it. Some of you feel so tired, maybe overwhelmed. Some of you feel lost. And some of you, you've been betrayed so bad. He knows, and he's there. Not to say, oh, when are you going to figure this out? Not to go, when are you going to have enough faith? Not just to sit there and say, I know. I know this stings, and I know it doesn't make any sense, and I know. I remember, I... I know. He knows. Man, he's walked in some of that. God has, all right? God isn't just sitting up there in heaven, you know, distant from all of us. It's very true. Uh, John 21, this is continuing with this post-Easter. And this is why I chose to call this episode the post-Easter episode. Because this is a, a story that really touched me and a story that really touched my heart. And, and uh, it's a post-Easter story. Because the, the truth is that the, the hen or the, the rooster crowed, all right? And Peter denied Christ three times. The funny thing is, too, in my skeptical mind as I was, you know, reprocessing Christianity and really, uh, is this really true? Um, this was a big part of my story. Like, okay, if, if, these, if this is just an ideology or if these guys are just making up a religion, um, why would this part be in there? All right. This is why this is the gospel is human history. It's not just religion. Because if you're making up a religion, wouldn't you leave this part out, right? Where the guy who Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you, dude. He, he denies him three times, right? Don't you leave that part out of your, uh, your religion story, you know? Don't you want to make some guy like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or... You know, Lee Iacocca, isn't that the guy who should be the guy to carry on this church thing, religion thing? You know, it's no. It was it was Christ and it was Peter. Right? Peter is the man who Christ has um, build the church on you. So he denies him three times. And he feels the weight of that, right? Again, the power of the situation. Peter's feeling the weight of betraying his friend and he just goes back off to work doing something really horrible, really stupid and then and then just going back off to work like you know, it never happened or I had one listener who had a great metaphor. I was talking about the zombie metaphor and he said, "Yeah, feeling like a zombie at work because of some night of um rampant porn binging." Um Peter felt that, you know, he, he's just here. There he is. He's in his boat and he's fishing 
and he sees Jesus. You know, he, he's heard this that Jesus has risen, and he's like, I don't know if I want to see that guy. I don't know if he does. He want to talk to me? I denied him to his face three times. He looked in my eyes when I was denying him. Imagine the the pressure and the weight and the the hurt he felt. Um, again, this is from the Message Bible, uh, John twenty one, starting in verse fifteen. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was upset that he asked him for the third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. And Jesus here is, is getting into this maturing of Peter and how, how Peter emotionally and spiritually is maturing in where he has to go, right? Following Christ. Jesus says in this one point in the story, right? He, he says that, uh, I'm going to set the captives free. I came to preach good news to the poor, right? Um, the chains will break. Some of them will break in this life and some of them will break in the life beyond. But the blessed assurance of the cross is very real and very true. I'm going to leave you with two more sound bites and then I'm going to end the show. The first one is uh, from uh, a pastor in uh, Colorado who has a, a church called the uh, House for All Sinners and Saints. Um, I don't agree with her on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything, right? Um, but this is just some great stuff. And, and she has a bead on the gospel, man. She gets the gospel. She, she gets Jesus. Uh, and, and she tells this little story that I'll share with you. This was an interview on NPR. Um, and then after this, you will hear uh, a band, a guy talking about this song that I'm going to end the show with. And it's called Breaking the Chains. Um, the band is called The Digital Age. And I'll have links to their, uh, their YouTube page on, on the website, ASI247.org, if you want to check it out. If you want to watch the videos. Um, and it's about Jesus breaking the chains. It's about this very, very good news of who God is and what he came to do. Even in our powerlessness, even while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. While you were in your junk, in the throes of it, Christ died for you. God loves you. He doesn't take away the suffering 
Sometimes we just have to walk through it. But he does release the chains and he can help with future suffering that we don't need to go through if we understand who he is. And we let him, right? We let him break the chains that bind us. The next voice you're about to hear is a woman named Christine Tippett, who does a show on NPR called On Being, interviewing Nadia Bowles-Weber. Nadia Bowles-Weber is not your average pastor. She is a ex-stand-up comic, went through her own substance abuse recovery. She's six foot one, covered in tattoos, female Lutheran minister. Okay, so uh, again, my kind of of minister. So I'm going to hand it off to uh, some brothers and sisters in Christ here as I end this episode, the post-Easter episode. And and I pray that, that some movement may be happening in your heart and that you could just rest, right? Just stop and let... God grab you by the hand, right? Stop running from him. He's after you, all right? Doing some business with God. You know, I've said that before on the podcast, but really it's just it's just resting, stopping for a minute, reaching your hand up and going, all right, take me by the hand because I'm not doing this very well on my own. All right? It's true. After... After Bulls Weber, uh, a little song by Johnny Cash that, uh, that touches my, my soul, resonates with my heart as well. Um, people have called this, and, and I've heard that, that Johnny Cash actually referred to this as his, his higher power song. <laughs> it's funny. It's all about Jesus. Um, I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Again, um, talk to him. All right, stop running from him. He's he's right there. He's after you, knocking at the door. Just open the door, man. Till next time, bye. Um, I'd like to I'd like to come back to the the underside, um, the pain and suffering and despair that's out there, and um, you you talked about this sense of being picked up by the scruff of your neck, and. Um, but everybody doesn't get carried away yeah. from addiction, from being suicidal, from, from mental illness. And those were all things that you were really uh, saw very cl- up close in people you loved for a yeah. number of years. Um, how, do you, how do you work with that theologically? Well, I think that we, we've sort of glamorized certain types of brokenness. You know, there's like the big ones, mental illness, addiction. And in a way, it can be very tempting to allow those people who are so obviously broken to just carry all the brokenness for us. And I think that's not honest because I just have never met a human being who has not experienced some kind of suffering, some kind of brokenness. Maybe it's the fact, maybe it has to do with divorce, something that feels so common we're not allowed to like really consider it to be brokenness 
anymore. Or maybe it has to do with body image. Or maybe everybody has something that they, like it might not be a huge addiction, the really kind of big sexy ones, but it might be, there's something that we feel powerless over, that we feel like has a hold of us, that we don't ha feel like we have much choice in, like we've lost the ability to choose whether we're going to do this or think this or be in this relationship. And then our life has a, a certain element of unmanageability because of that. I think that is very, very, very common, even if you don't have one of the big, sexy problems mm -hmm. um, that we sort of identify. So, so you're saying that's just the human condition and it's the human con that you have those dark places. Absolutely. Whether I, you're... Yeah. I mean, maybe some people don't, but I don't find them very interesting. Okay. <laughs> you know, maybe some people are just perfectly fine, so, but I don't want to have coffee with them. Right. <laughs> but, but so again, you know, the, the theology question, I mean, it, 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 how do you make sense of God in light of that? Hmm. Here's the theodicy question, I guess. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that... Um, I, it, that really always comes down to my particular Christology, my idea of Jesus, because I think a lot of people, when there's suffering, when there's tragedy, they say, well, where is God in the midst of this? Most of God is unknowable, and we should probably be grateful for that. I, I'm like, it's in that, like, I don't want to know, right? <laughs> but, um, but, I, but so if you look at Jesus, so to me, the the greatest revelation of who God was was actually at the cross. Because to me, that's not God's little boy. Like God is some sort of divine child abuser sending his, you know, his son, and he only had one. You know, like, come on, give me a break, right? Like, God's little boy, and he only had one, and as this sort of divine child abuser, or as this cigar-chomping loan shark demanding his pound of flesh, you know, he's sending his little boy to the... What a hogwash, right? That actually is God on the cross. That's God saying, I would rather die than be in the sin accounting business that you've put me in. That from the cross... That from the cross, you know, there's all this stuff about the final judgment. You know what the final judgment is to me? It's God dying on the cross and saying, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. That's an eternally valid statement to me. That is God's judgment upon us. And so, um, to me, if God could bear that kind of suffering and only respond uh, in forgiveness and love, that's the God who is present in a devastating hurricane, in, an, in, the, in that room with an abused child. So to me, God has come into the world and is bearing that, not causing it. Oh Lord, help me to walk another mile just one more mile I'm tired of walking All alone And Lord Help me to smile Another smile Just one more smile Don't think I can do things On my own I never thought I needed help before I thought that I could get by by myself but now I know I just can't take it anymore 
And with a humble heart on bended knee Begging you please for help Come down from your golden throne to me, to lowly me. I need to feel the touch of your tender hand. Release these chains of darkness. Let me see, Lord, let me see. Just where I fit into your master plan. I never thought I needed help before Thought that I could get by by myself Now I know I just can't take it anymore And with a humble heart on bended knee Begging you please for help With a humble heart on bended knee, I'm begging you please for help. Hey guys, it's Mark from the Digital Age here. I want to introduce to you the song Break Every Chain. So I love this story in Luke 4 where Jesus returns to Nazareth to speak to his local synagogue and he goes there on a Sunday and he goes up to talk and there had already been a lot of word spreading about who this guy, who is this guy, what's he doing, what, what, what's his story and he goes up on stage and he takes a scroll up from Isaiah and opens it up and reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he takes that scroll, he rolls it back up, sets it down, goes and sits down in the audience, and everyone's staring at him. And for Jesus, it was kind of like one of those drop the mic moments, you know, when you're on stage or somebody's like, yeah, and they drop it, and then they walk off and everyone's like, whoa, why did he say that? That was, that was pretty powerful. So everyone in the synagogue was staring at him after he read this, and then he looks around and replies back to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He basically said, hey, this really important guy, this Isaiah that all of you know, these words that are in this holy book that we have, they're talking about me. I'm the one who is here to set the oppressed free. I am the one here to break all these chains. Jesus is the all-sufficient sacrifice that came to earth to set the oppressed free, to break every chain or everything in our lives that we think is holding us back from God. It is no longer a thing because Jesus came and died to break every chain. Not some chains, break every chain in our lives. The bridge of the song says, there's an army rising up, there's an army rising up, there's an army rising up to break every chain. And I love that, I love singing that because in my head you have this story that is so important. You have these weapons, you have the weapon of the word of God and you know the truth and you know the power in it. 
And as Christians and as a worship band, what we get to do is we get to proclaim that. We get to rise up and tell people, you know what? You don't need to be chained down. You can be set free. You're already set free through Christ. And that's an amazing story to tell. And we, as an army of Christians, can rise up and tell it and go, you know what? There is power in the name of Jesus. And he has come to break every chain in your life, in my life, in all of creation. There's an army 